prayer. Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the beginning forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we bow humbly before you in your presence as a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, a God that saw fit to provide the sacrifice through your Son, Jesus Christ, for all of the sin that was waged against from the beginning of Adam and Eve and even unto today and even beyond. And Father, you saw fit to literally put an end to it. Even though we haven't seen its finality, the penalty and the power of it can be extinguished through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on Calvary's tree. Something that Daniel spoke of with really not knowing all that it entailed. The reality of it was something that was beyond him see, knowing, but he saw it. Father, may we catch a glimpse of even further of the sweetness of your word today, the strength, the power, the encouragement, as you even touched Daniel so many years ago. These, this short vision, this short dream, this short understanding that Gabriel gave from you to Daniel, literally, all of prophecy hinges upon. Father, we would pray for those that are not able to be here today. We would ask that you would lift them up and encourage them. Hold them close to yourself, particularly those that are sorrowing, those that are in have problems that they can't solve, Father, that 
you would step in and hold him and lift him and carry him if need be. Father, we also ask for you to be with each one of those that are here today and they and their families. Father, these would be moments of sweetness as you anoint your word. We would ask that even in our weakness that we will be able to see your strength. We ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher today and that you would let us to see you more clearly than we've ever seen you before. We thank you in advance for what you'll accomplish. For this is your day. We glorify and lift your name on high. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. To recap somewhat of where we were uh, a couple of weeks ago as we come into Daniel chapter 9. And this is, a, uh, as we mentioned before, beginning at the, the very end of Daniel chapter 7, on to the end of the book, this writing of Daniel, we have went back to writing in Hebrew. This is speaking to the Jews, Daniel's people, if you will. And that's what prompted this chapter 9 of Daniel was the fact that he was reading out of the Old Testament manuscripts, Jeremiah, it states for us in chapter 9 and verse 2. And he was probably there in chapter 25 and 29, and not something that was fresh to him, but it's amazing how time gets away. I, I'm sure you realize as well. If you just think back, um, what should have, what you think is maybe three or four years ago, and you really take note, you know, it, it was 15 years ago. It was 20 years ago. Um, I'm not even going to tell you how long ago since I graduated from high school. It's embarrassingly a long time. And it, yet it seems like it was just yesterday. I, I'm sure for Daniel, and this is, this is another thing that's really interesting. I, I, the, characteristic, the character of this man is integrity is so amazing to me. Uh, show me another man that literally maintains a high level of leadership and authority from one kingdom that was literally overthrown. He just goes and smoothly transitions into the Medes and Persians. That's a God thing. That's a man that's after God. That's, a God. that's a man that is seeking everything that God's will is all about. You see Daniel as a man of prayer, and that we talked quite a bit about um, two weeks ago, particularly. Uh, if you remember, we'll maybe just recap real quickly. If you have your notes, go, turn back to them. Uh, this is probably the, shall we say, the classic if you want to study prayer in the Old Testament and you want to see characteristics of an intercessory prayer, they are here. We'll briefly go through them before we go on today because this is the context. This is literally what brought this uh, an amazing. You talk about power packed from verse 24 to verse 27 is the most powerful prophecy in all of Scripture. And it is power packed and condensed. Literally, Revelation without those four verses really would not be able to be understood. You see, now again, there's things that he doesn't see that we now can see, but we'll get into all of that later. But what brought that? What, why did God dump this on him, if you will, or let him see this? Well, I think the very aspects that really would make us, when you have these characteristics in your prayer life, you are in a great spot for God to use you. The first one we found was, his prayer was in response to the Word of God. Uh, some of the greatest places, the greatest place for you to be able to pray is right after you've read the Word of God. 
Uh, it began, and then secondarily, it literally is grounded in God's will. Uh, when you read God's word and you pray in God's will, it's amazing how all of this thing starts to flow together in you being part of it. That's really what prayer is all about, is getting your will lined up with God's will. And then the third one, you guys, you guys have these in your notes, or should I be asking you, is this a little pop quiz going on here? Or? I see not a lot of heads nodding, yes. At any rate, number three is fervency. How many of you pray with fervency? I'm not hearing a lot of fervency out there right now. And I specifically am waiting for fervency to come. And you find that. I mean, you see in the, all through this the sense of, look at, look at verse 3. I set my face unto the Lord God to seek my prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth. And that's fervency. He came to prayer to mean business. It's not something just done in passing. And this is a busy, busy man. If you, if you think you're too busy to be actively engaged in intercessory prayer, you don't know Daniel very well. This is a leader, a hitter in the very top echelons. Can you imagine the pressure that this man was under? Chapter 6 of Daniel. It would have been a good time to take a time out from praying. That was the chapter in which he was thrown into the den of lions. He would have had a lot of little projects and things that would have, he would have needed to be attending to. And you know what he did? No, he didn't change a thing, just like he'd done all of those other years, all of that time that, is, that he was trained in Israel, which now would be probably approaching 68, 69 years. Look at how good his memory is. A memory built on dedicated sense of not defiling himself before anyone other and being as close to God as possible. Isn't that great? See, that's fervency. That's you getting had, it. You had attached to that verse 3, intense humility. Excuse me? You had attached to that verse chapter 3, or, or verse 3, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, the intense humility. Yeah. Re and really, that, that ties in very nicely with the number 4. So we have number 1 uh, is what? Response. Response. Prayer in response to the Word, God's Word. Number 2? Grounded in God's will. 3? Fervency. I mean, you want you come to mean business. It's not just some flippant little bless us today and hope we all have a fun time, right? Uh, or, or when we need something. Did, did you? Did you? Oh, let, let's keep going. Number four is which ties in very well with humility is self denial. Self denial. I, I I don't know why, but I'm thinking this just popped in my mind now, and I, I it was earlier today. I think one of the reasons that God truly, truly hates pride is two of the things that it really does that affects us is number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ, pride is usually the things between you and you understanding you need a Savior. Pride is always in the We can do it ourselves. Just, even, a little, even a little kid. It's amazing how this, this sin nature comes right along with a package. What did, what did Samson weigh at birth? 8-7. Well, part of that 8-7 is the package of amazing strong will. I'm in charge. Rebellion, right? And nothing against Samson in any way, shape, or form. Because he's wonderful. Not so much. Every single human being since Adam and Eve sinned comes with that package. And it's enormous. The pride that comes with it is enormous. And I want, to, I want you to see that today. Because this is something that Daniel worked so hard at diminishing in his life. And that's what made him so effective in leadership. Because his weakness became God's strength. That's the goal. 
That's literally the goal. And to think of this, pride keeps us from... I, I'm going to say this several times today. This has just been impressed upon me. But if, you, if you're in... There, just draw a great big circle. Think of it as an O. A big O. You know, that's really where God blesses you is in the circle of obedience. And the way you get to obedience is through confession. Confessing those sins. You want to keep those sins very, very short. We're not perfect. We stumble, we trip, we fall down. And who's there right there waiting to pick us up? God. You know, he does it when we confess. When we confess our sins. And when we confess, we're right back in the circle of obedience. That's the place. Now, this is one of the reasons I'm convinced that God gave Daniel this wonderful three or four verse loaded pack condensed with amazing truth and prophecy is because he was right. His whole life was in the circle of obedience and confession. That's where you want to be. Now, he says he's great. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it seems to fit right here, too. Uh, Gabriel comes on the scene and he says, you are greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. Remember what John uh, the Apostle said when he would describe himself in his letter or letters? There's James and there's Peter and there's the Apostle that Jesus loved. I would present, if that's true, that's exactly how I'd want to be known too. Isn't that great? It's not John, it's the disciple that Jesus loved. You know how he got to be loved? He was in the circle of obedience. Now, again, now be careful where you take that. Does that mean if I'm out of the circle of obedience that God doesn't love me? No, I didn't say that. But if you want to be greatly loved and you want to be greatly blessed, get in the circle of obedience. Because if you're not obeying, you literally cannot receive the rainfall of God's blessings. That's where it's raining blessings, is in the circle of obedience. When I step outside of that, how do I do it? Willfully. See where pride, pride is so, so sinister in what it does to us. It keeps us from confessing. It keeps us from wanting a Savior. It keeps us from obeying because we know best. Look at the level of pride at the levels of our nation's leaders today. All I, got, I got nothing. That's where it stops right there. They don't even want to hear from the other side. We can't even have a debate because I'm right. Where does that come from? Pride. <laughs> Do you see the impact that Daniel is having even on us today? This is a man that was really, really powerful. And he, he's probably, I'm, I, I don't know this, but I would say he's probably the only one that literally got his job continued. He never had to leave his desk. He just moved right on back in. Never left. And the other guys? How about when you have a Democratic or Republican uh, cabinet, shall we say? What happens? They all leave. Daniel's a guy that was a man of integrity and character. He just stayed. <laughs> and we found out how much they liked him in chapter 6 because of integrity. But you know what? Where was he at? He was in the circle of obedience. Even if the lions have eaten him, he would have been in the hands of God. Immediately. Poof, just like that. But God needed him on earth. That's why the kitties' mouths were closed. Where was he at? One more time. Circle of obedience. You want to be blessed? You want to receive God's rainfall of blessing in your life? Get in the circle of obedience. How do you get there? Confess. Isn't that... It, it, some, and it's amazing how hard that is, isn't it? <laughs> I 
The last thing you want to hear from somebody, you need to confess that. And particularly, apparently, from God. And God's word is full of it. Look, look at what Daniel did. How, much of, how many of these nations' sins were his personally? Not very many. I mean, I don't see it in his life. And yet, he was self-denying. And then the, other, the next one was the fact that he was praying all of the time for others. We, us, they, them. Isn't that fantastic? Get your eyes off yourself. Stay in the circle of obedience. These are things that work today, too. You know, sometimes we think of, and they say the Bible so irrelevant. It's so old. It's just an old document, and it's good to read, but it has not. Oh, my friends, that's what's so cool about the Bible. That's so cool about God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing's out of sync. Nothing's out of season. He is and always will be God of the universe, fully and completely in charge, fully and completely in control. His word is always his word. It doesn't ever grow weary or old. See, those are things that we should be gratefully, or I should mightily thankful for. I'm just so glad he doesn't change. Wouldn't that be terrible? I wonder what God's going to be like this week. I wonder how he's going to act this week. What's that? <laughs> Is he going to be moody? I can tell you what, his mood's going to be the same. If you sin, confess. If you don't confess, you won't be blessed. That's consistent. It's not like... This year's different. God acts differently now. No, he doesn't. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. He judges sin. Let's keep going. We're getting hung up here, aren't we? You're saying, wow, Larry, you're... that's right. So we have uh, responding to the word of God is, your, is uh, a characteristic of prayer. It lines up with God's will. It's fervent. It's self-denying. It involves praying for others. And it is strengthened in confession. We talked, uh, that's number six. We actually jumped into all of this thing in the sense of as you confess and obey, it's strengthened. And that, that really patterns the strength of Daniel's praying and his whole life. And number seven is it depends on God. The, the prayers that you pray is not the strength that you are or the prayers that you perceive to be strength because of how you pray them. And uh, let, me, let me back up and say this. So in other words, if I'm more fervent tomorrow than I am today, then my prayer... No, 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 no. No, no, no. It all depends on God's character and His strength. That's what prayer is all about. It's dependent upon Him. And ultimately, the last one is it's all focusing on God's glory. And that's where we really get hung up sometimes. To, and, and analyze your own prayers sometimes. When you're done praying and you say, now what, what and who, what or who was I glorifying in that prayer? And you know, like just, just come, come into a summary and you say, what was that all about? You know, you'll find in many cases, and my case too, I'm, I'm sitting here just as honest and open as I can possibly be. When I get done with prayer sometimes, and if I ask those questions, I'm going to say, ah, oh, that was a whole lot about me. That was a whole lot about Larry needing, wanting, seeking things for he, him, or his, right? You take a look at Daniel's prayer. It's from, chapter, from verse 3 to 19. And he literally asked for only one thing. To do what God said he was going to do. Isn't that fantastic? How many times do we get in the Word? Sometimes we, we're almost like we're scared to have God do what He says He's going to do. 
No, Daniel says, do it. That was it. That was literally the whole passion. He's fasting. He's praying. He's offering all that he is to God. He's self-denying. He's confessing. He's fervent. And ultimately said, God, you said it. I believe it. It's in your will. Just do it. (laughs) That's literally what we talked about last week. Two weeks ago, I'm sorry. And that was Daniel's circumstances. Now, briefly, again, what brought him to this was reading the Word of God. What was making him excited? What, and you could see, fervency comes from excitement. That's why sometimes for me to get into Daniel, and this is, this is remarkable to me. Uh, now, I'm just, just broadly, I'm going to just take a step back and say, when you look at this, this prophecy which has to do with the Jewish people, are you Jewish here today? Uh, probably not. But we're in a gap, we're in a parenthesis, which we will never get to today, that is between the 69th and the 70th week. 77s. 69 of 70th, 69 70ths of this prophecy has taken place with amazingly exactness in timing in every way. And I'm just looking at that. I'm saying, my goodness, and he gave this to Daniel. This is probably about 538 B.C., plus or minus a year. I don't care, whatever. 538 B.C., where are you at today? 2000 and, uh, like 2005, right? Where did the last 15 years go? 16, it's already 2021. Do you see how quick it went? Poof, it's gone. Think of all of those years that went past, and it's still, we're inside this vision. We're inside this prophecy. God is still in charge. Now, it looks at moments in the last year, which, uh, have you ever seen such a mess? Not in my lifetime. Have there been bigger messes? Yeah, there has. I would have to say the period before God said, I'm going to flood the entire earth, and I'm going to keep Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and everybody else hates me. Right? And I'm going to take 120 years to make sure that there's no one that else still wants to come on board. That had to be a worse time. <laughs> but we're well on course getting there, the way we're going now, aren't we? I can't, and I think, Paul, you spoke of it earlier, the, the sense of, or someone did, uh, the closure of churches. That's frightening. To think of God's people not being able to get together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. So important for us today. Forsake not the assembling of one another. Particularly in these, the latter days. Is this the latter days? It sure feels like it. And I'm going to say this. I'm praying to God, do it. (laughs) Keep it moving. Keep it coming. Because you know all. You know everything perfectly and why would I want to get in the way of making that not happen it'll happen it will happen so he reads in Jeremiah that there's 70 years that God would judge Jerusalem and if you're going to back up a little bit um, just think way back we have we have the nation Israel when David was the king of Israel it was one nation correct His son Solomon comes on board. It's one nation. Solomon takes some really left and right-hand turns away from wisdom. The wisest fool that ever lived. 
That kind of hurts your head, doesn't it? He knew more stuff than any of us probably could possibly imagine knowing. And you know what? He still what? What did he do? This is this important. When he got outside the circle of obedience, guess what happened? God's blessings did not reign, and that's R-A-I-N, on him. He stepped outside of the circle. He went with convenience. He went with sin. He went with all of the other things that drags us outside of the circle. And he didn't necessarily pay the price, but on comes his son, and his name was... This is a sneaky one, wasn't it? Rehoboam. Rehoboam didn't have a lot of wisdom. He just didn't. And all of a sudden, within a... Just like that. I'm not snapping very good today. (laughs) My smear's too cold. Uh, We got two nations. A nation that's split in two. We have the northern kingdom. We have the southern kingdom. We have Judah, which is the one that which Daniel came from. And the northern kingdom, actually, they sinned more and faster and, and longer because they didn't even have a good king after that. Not, not one God-fearing king. Not one. Did you get that? Not one. And the prophets came on board and warned and warned and warned. You need to get back in the circle of obedience. You need to confess. You need to get back to God because God will bless you. Uh, in fact, Leviticus chapter 26, uh, you, should, you should jot that one down. That, that, now, that's directly to the Jews in the sense of conditions or statements about being blessed. And it is doing this. You do my commandments, I will bless you. You don't do my commandments, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Well, the northern kingdom, literally in 722 B.C., were conquered by the Assyrians and never came home. You will never find those ten tribes coming home. Now, it seems in the first part of Daniel that some of those that saw what was coming on and wanted to stay part of following God would have literally traveled or traversed south into the southern kingdom, which lasted until 605 B.C. About 100 years, they kept talking, the prophets kept saying, you have to return to God, you have to return to God. And they didn't. This is what's important. As we get into this prophecy, it's talking about sin. That's how they got to this place where Daniel is living in Babylon and ultimately continues on in the Medes and Persians' kingdom. It was sin that got them there. But what he sees is this. In Jeremiah, it speaks of that they're going to be captive for 70 and it's coming to a close. It's probably 68 or 69 years. And he doesn't know exactly from what date you're starting, but he knows it's been a long time. And he is waiting and crying out for God to end that. Now, can someone tell me, and this is what's really cool about this prophecy, it's like the, the whole sense of why they're here and what Daniel's reading. Now, what, what context is Daniel in? Is he in a day frame of mind, a week frame of mind, or a year frame of mind? I'll just help you. Years. He's reading from Jeremiah that it's 70 years. That's important. His mind, his context is in the sense of years. Now, tell me why is there any significance about the 70 years? All right, God just, uh, seven's a nice number, isn't it? What do we know about seven? It's the perfect number. It's the completion number. Everything's, so, you know, seven years wouldn't be enough for him to get the message. 70 sounds fantastic, Right? You look not convinced. Wasn't that, the, wasn't that a period of guys that they, they left? They, they, the Israelites quit following his directives. Um, his, his, uh, his, perce- or his, altar, or his worshiping and, and 
sacrificing for, for 70 years, and, and, and they say that was as long as the baby's gone from... Definite connection, absolutely. Let's, let's find out where that's at, because we'll find that in Second Chronicles. We're going to find this in Second Chronicles chapter 36. And, and what's amazing is the time that's, that got them there is exactly the same time that God is determined, that's the word he uses, determined for them going forward. So let's find Second Chronicles. If you find Kings, then you're going to find Chronicles in Second Chronicles chapter 36. And let's take a peek. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 36. And we could start a little bit earlier. I'm not going to. If you wanted to start like at verse 11, just write that down in your notes. Uh, it speaks of the very last kings to serve in Jerusalem. And it talks about Zedekiah. But now let's just go to, uh, I'm going to start in verse 17. Boy, there's some good stuff. You, I, I don't even, yeah. I'm going I'm to count, and that's it. I'm going to count on you guys starting reading at verse 11 of chapter 36. Okay? I'm going to dive into verse 17. Therefore he brought unto them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him, that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hands. This would have been the time frame in which Daniel would have been taken alive. He was held as hostage, if you will, against the, this vassal king from doing the wrong things. Okay, Verse 18, And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. Now, think for a moment, what if you were living in that nation then? You'd say, how could God do that to himself? Isn't this against God? No. Guess what? They all jumped out of the circle of obedience. God doesn't need this stuff. What does he want? He wants them. He wants you. He can make more vessels. It's, you know, it's not like, gee, I'm running out of gold. What am I going to do? No, no. He's running out of men's hearts wanting to be with him. That's what God needs. That's what he wants. That's what he's always wanted. Let's keep going. Verse 20. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon. This is speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. That's exactly right. Until the next kingdom. Now watch verse 21. This is the one I want you to see. Why? To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah... Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. There's that. See, that actually comes from Jeremiah chapter 25 and Jeremiah chapter 29. This 70 years. Now, tell me about the Sabbath year. Well, if you go back and as it's laid out, they were to work and work the land for six years. And on the seventh year, they were to rest it. There would actually be enough uh, on the sixth year. God basically said, step out in faith. Do what I told you to do. Circle of old. But, you know, I'm going to say this so many times. You're going to hate me for this. No, you won't. You'll get over it. Or you won't. And so anyway, the seventh year was God's. That was a year of rest. So think of this now. For every year of Sabbath year, which would be seven years. So ultimately, what are we saying here? 
God required 70 years for 70 Sabbaths because for 490 years they had disobeyed doing what God had asked them to do. There's 70 sevens that resulted in 70 years of desolation or 70 years of them being, I would say, captured, prisoners. And this is what's really cool. As Daniel has uncovered this end of the 70, God sends Gabriel to say, not only was 490 years in your past because you failed to serve me, I've also determined 77s for your future. That's that's mind-blowing to me. Based upon their disobedience... God at just the right time steps in with this man that is seeing God's word unfold for them to return to be back from being exiles. And he says, oh, by the way, listen carefully. Don't miss this, Daniel. This is really important. I've also, see, now let, let me just read this again. It's only, it's only three verses. Verse 24. Oh, you won't find it in 2 Chronicles. Go back to Daniel chapter 9 while it's still fresh. Verse 24. We'll, we'll, we'll come back. We'll, we're going to talk about Gabriel. Verse 24. Seventy weeks, or that word is actually seventy sevens, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish it. And I got to stop. There's so much that's so rich. But did you see it? Literally, Daniel, what you've just uncovered and known about is exactly what I, God, have determined for the Jewish people in the future. Seventy sevens. Seventy weeks of seven, 490 years. (laughs) My goodness. Isn't it amazing how God works in exactness? It's called progressive revelation. That is exactly what Danny was getting. He was getting a whole lot of the future, wasn't it? And it is amazing how it progressed. Because he was given Gentile kingdoms. He saw the four kings, and then all of a sudden, there was a slant on adding the Antichrist into there. And now, he literally sees what? He sees it from the Jewish perspective. He's watching these unfolding, which literally, there's going to be a start date and an end date of the 69 weeks. And then, the part he didn't see. It was, I've talked about the Old Testament prophets, like looking at Mount Baldy and not seeing all the in-between stuff. You know where we're at in right now? We're in the in-between stuff. We're in that parenthesis, which is still a time of the church age, which Daniel wouldn't have seen. That was a mystery to the Jews. The church, none of the Old Testament prophets saw the church age. But they also didn't recognize that between the 69th and the 70th week, because it says after the Messiah was cut off. Let's go to John chapter 1. It really describes very clearly in John's gospel what happens from the Jewish perspective. And did, you, and did you see that word Messiah in verse 25? First time it shows up in the scripture. Messiah, the anointed one, that would be the savior that they, were, they needed. For, uh, John chapter 1. And let's just look at, a, at uh, verse 11 and 12. Nothing Jewish. He, oh, who's he? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word is Jesus Christ. Okay? He's the Messiah. It said he, Jesus, came unto his own. Who's his own? The Jews. Yeah, his people, his Jews. And his own received him not. Is there anybody have a problem getting that? Just read through Jesus' life. How many got it? 
especially particularly the religious leaders. Zero. They wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't receive him. But, look at verse 12. But, oh, I like the buts in Scripture. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is where we, as the church, as Christians, after accepting Christ, that's where we fit right there in verse 12. The Jews rejected him, and guess what? But God said, all of those that receive him, they shall be sons of God. And I say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What right do we be able to come to Jesus Christ when Jesus literally came through the Jewish line, appeared before his own, and they refused him? And what, Wouldn't that have been a good time for God to just pack up and go home? God is love. God gave us the package that could save us from our sins. Let's go to, uh, let's talk a little bit about Gabriel. Let's go to verse 20 of Daniel. Where did, I, where did I leave you? Where did you guys get hung out? In Second Chronicles or are you back in Daniel? Come back to Daniel chapter 9. And let's look. This is, this is Daniel is still praying. I mean, in verse 3 it says, I set my face on the Lord God to seek my prayer supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. You see fervency everywhere. Verse 4, I prayed on the Lord my God, made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant, mercy to them that love him and to keep and to them that keep his commandments. He's reminding him of what God had said. He's, and, and it's not that God forgot. It's like it, it, he's right in God's will. And then look at this, verse 20. Just whew, go to verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer... Even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being oh stop, what do you mean seen in the beginning? Seen in the vision at the beginning. Well, turn back to chapter eight, chapter eight of Daniel. See, this isn't the first time that he's seen Dan, uh, seen Gabriel. Watch now in verse fifteen and sixteen, Daniel chapter eight. It came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision. This is the previous one, and sought for the meaning. And behold, there stood before me as the appearance. Of a man, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli. That was the river he was standing beside in the vision, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Aha, what he's saying is, Gabriel takes the same form and looks exactly as, it's this man, Gabriel, the guy that's in the same appearance as he was chapter, back in chapter 8. That Gabriel. And he was, you can tell in what form, how intense he was, because literally Gabriel just showed up and had to tap him on the shoulder. Daniel. Oh, Daniel. <laughs> Have you ever prayed that fervently? Where an angel shows up? <laughs> now think about the speed at which he moved. Again, we're not told how long he prayed. I'm, I'm still thinking he prayed a long time. It said that he, 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 he swiftly flew. Or he flew. Let me, let me read it. Let me read it. it doesn't sound, my English isn't working. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9. It says, While I was speaking, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen the vision of the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. I wouldn't be able to tell you the speed of an angel. I don't know. But one of the things that sometimes people miss, and probably not you, but it's amazing how much power people that don't know Jesus Christ personally or don't know God of the Bible, how much power they give to angels. Isn't that, I mean, it's amazing. It, it truly amazes me. And there's, there's all kinds of angels. There's little baby angels, and there's women angels, and there's men angels, and there's just angels. Nowhere is it ever give the feminine form of the word angel. 
They are masculine every single time. They are also messengers. They are created, and they are not omnipresent. If an angel is here right now, sitting beside Bill, for him to go to Wisconsin, he is going to have to go from here to there. God, however, is omnipresent. The really good part for me is, too, is Satan is not omnipresent. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's got a lot of helpers, but he himself has to go from point A to point B. He can't be at point A and B. God is the only one that can do that. Praise God. But this angel, Gabriel, and Gabriel is, I think he's one of those that is a messenger to the Jews. Or he's surely that's his, it seems almost like a focal point. In fact, now God knew what Daniel was going to pray before he prayed it, right? He knew who was going to be here today before we even woke up to know that we were maybe thinking about coming here today. He knew, just like he knew what Daniel was going to pray about. But it's amazing when Daniel started to pray that he said, Gabriel, go to Daniel. And Gabriel said, I'm still brushing my teeth. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) I'm gone. I'm on it. I'm all over it, right? Because that's what Gabriel does. God didn't just do it with Daniel. He did it with Zechariah. Remember him? Zechariah, I should say. The father of John the Baptist. He said, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Sure. (laughs) Elizabeth's too old, right? It's amazing our limitations we place on God, isn't it? And then he also appeared to someone that was really an impossible situation, Mary. You're going to have a baby, Mary. Mary takes it all. Did you notice how good a listener she is? She doesn't even argue until after he stops speaking. One question. I've never known a man. How is this going to happen? And he, and he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Not. <laughs> but he followed up and he said this, with God, nothing is impossible. That should be the byword of ours. You look, at, you look at our nation today. You look at, the, you look at everything unfolding. And you can say, no, with God, nothing is impossible. He's no less. He, this is not harder for him. It's not harder for him. <laughs> right? So churches aren't meeting in California. I don't know. Are they meeting in New York? I, have no, I don't have any idea. It would seem like the most liberal centers have the least amount of church. I don't know if that's true or not. See, that's sad. That, that's sad, but God is no less than out of control. And here's the really cool part. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I really believe you need to right now, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, you need to have that verse surrounding you. This is, that's a reason to be gathered with other believers. That's what Paul said, because he knew this time would come. He, he knew it. He recorded it. But the one thing is, is can you imagine? When's the last time you think Daniel... Step foot in the temple in Israel. About 68 years ago. It didn't matter to him, did it? Still praying three times a day. In fact, it says that it touched him, that Gabriel touched him at the evening oblation. Why would you even mention that? That hadn't happened for his life for at least, again, I'm saying 68 or 69 years. But he remembered it and he enforced it in his mind. What happened at the evening oblation? It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what happened at that time? It would have been the evening sacrifice. 
It would have been the time if you were in the house and you would look out toward the temple, you would see smoke rising because someone had sinned and they brought the lamb in some senses, brought a lamb to the priest. He would slay the lamb and then that person to get associated with how to have this atoned for, he would place, he or she would place his hands, his or her hands on the lamb that had been slain that now would be offered up to God. See, sin always costs life. It always costs. Remember what God did when Adam and Eve sinned? They went to the fig store. God said, that's not good enough. He gave them animal skins. What happened? It was the first time that animals were killed. It cost the life. It always takes life's blood as sin being at cost. And on that evening oblation, and I know from, the, from past chapter 6 of Daniel, this was a regular regiment of Daniel. He prayed during these times because he made it. This is what it is to serve and to worship God. I don't, do, you, do you not admire this man? Oh, my goodness. And at that time, he was, and I, I'm telling you, he's seriously in prayer. Because Gabriel, I don't know why, but I just think if an angel shows up, so what, he looks like a man. He's by himself, and all of a sudden, there's someone else in the room with you. And he didn't even notice. That's being in prayer. <laughs> and then he taps him. Uh, Daniel. Oh, it's, it, it, it's him. It's Gabriel. It's that same guy I saw before. Right? That's why he says it just that way. And then watch what Gabriel says. This is, this is exciting now. So here's Gabriel. He's back on the scene. He's the one that helped me with that last vision. Verse 22. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Now, that's not what Daniel asked for. I want to be careful to say that. Daniel did not ask for this. And those words are actually very synonymous. It's the sense he said, I'm here to help you with what God's communicating to you. So we've got three personalities, three perspectives. We have Daniel's circumstances, the first 19 verses. Then we have the appearing of Gabriel, the messenger. And then from verses 24 on, we have literally the communication from God. Those are the three things. And Gabriel says, to, you know, he's setting it up. He's getting Daniel ready. At the beginning of thy supplications... As, as fastings, the commandment came forth. Where do you think that came from? From God. And I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. We've talked about that already. He was in the circle of obedience. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. In other words, you know, literally, if we were going to say that today, don't miss this. <laughs> Pay attention. And then, do you, do you mind if I read this one more time? This, this would have been the first, first go for Daniel. Verses 24 through 27. Now, how many times have you read it? More than once. Okay. Just, just listen to this. Here we go. Gabriel says to Daniel, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of the sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the beginning forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks and the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off and not for himself and the people 
people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the word desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even unto consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Did you get it, Daniel? Oh, oof, right? <laughs> I have a feeling there was a little more time required for Daniel to get it all, right? Now write it down. <laughs> That's right. Now write it down. I'm going to go slower this time, right? And I'm, and I'm no kidding. Uh, actually, Sir Isaac Newton said that if you, you could base the entire validity of a scripture on these three verses in the exactness of a prophecy that's been fulfilled. I believe that strongly about these three verses, that Daniel was in prayer at a level that I wish we could all be there, and he set him up. He, he was set up perfectly in the spirit and in a prayerful realm to receive what God had for him to describe, not only for us, but for future generations. That's am- this is amazing. This is totally amazing. And then Gabriel apparently was gone. He starts off in verse 24 at 70 weeks. That word weeks is seven. So 70 sevens. Now, again, it's perfect time for that, right? Because Daniel's just been talking about 70 years. And the reason we got to 70 years, because he would have known that there was 70 sevens, 70 weeks of seven, that the reason we had 70 years. See, that's exactly where Daniel's mind is. Now, for us, we say 70 weeks. What, what, what's that about? Well, if you go to the context, it's years. It's 70 sevens, 70 weeks of seven, 490 years. That, did, did you see the word? I don't know what, in the King James, it has determined. That's a really big word because that means not only is the 70 years I've designed as being the penalty for you not obeying me, I've also determined or made fixed to cut up, to cut out from the time frame that there's going to be 490 years, 77s for your future. For your future. And now this is where in verse 24, there are six purposes for the prophecy. And you say, whoa, we're going to try to get through those six. And that's probably what we're going to get today. Let's break them down. Seventy-seven, seventy weeks of seven are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So this is for you, Daniel, for the Jewish people and for Jerusalem. Amazing. Again, he, he very specifically states this period of prophecy that I'm giving to you is for the people and for the city. Now watch. To finish the transgression, that's the first purpose of this prophecy. You will find three positives and three negatives. Finish the transgression. Tell me what transgression would be. To finish the transgression. To end the transgression. What's, it, what's transgression? And rebellion would be sin, right? Transgression would literally be that word, sin. Now, think of this. He said to finish transgression. That's really, that's stout. Now, in Dan- now, keep, now, take a step back. Now, what, is, what does Daniel know about the Messiah or Jesus Christ? Very, very little. Yeah, very little. He would have, he would have seen in the writings, even in Genesis, beginning in chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be 
it's not the word redeemer, but there would be that term that would come from the woman that would literally bruise Satan's head. That was the beginning. It would be the first unfolding of God supplying someone to fix the sin problem. And this is right here. He says the purpose of this prophecy is to finish or to end the transgression. Because at this point, and even as today, by the way, too. I mean, let's, let's be fair. Sin is still expressing itself today. This is the picture of ultimately finishing the expression of sin. And I'm talking sin in the big form. Okay. Boy, I'll bet you Daniel had his, oh, that would be fantastic. Because up until now, let's be, let's be honest. Sin was really very alive and well. Right? How do we know that? Because everybody had a sacrifice, something, somewhere during the year. I mean, you know, I don't know if they had, like, conversations about, hey, Harry, uh, I just had a sacrifice one time last month. How about you? (laughs) Shut up, Ralph. Right? I mean, it would be ongoing. And again, anybody that wouldn't have taken it seriously enough to sacrifice is what? In denial? which would be outside of the circle of obedience, right? See, that was the thing about the sacrificial system. It sounds very messy to us, doesn't it? But keep in mind, they didn't have Jesus Christ. They didn't have a Messiah. They had a foreshadowing or a system that was pointing towards what was ultimately necessary. And until that was there, they had to do this. Now, you know the weird part is, do you know the Jews want to go back to that? Do you know why? Because they haven't seen their Messiah. I love their Messiah. <laughs> Isn't he awesome? And they actually have a whole lot. Of, this, is, this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But in the last seven that is to be coming, and it's the last, the 70th week of which hasn't started, the Jews right now have a assembly, a semblance of materials to build this temple, which they just are yearning for. And they will have it. They will build it. We'll be talking about in the last couple of verses here because literally, how could the Antichrist, this other coming prince, have a a, a, uh, desolation in the temple if it's not there? They will get it built. That will be, I think, the very beginning of the beginning of the tribulation is the fact of laying that foundation of a temple that they desperately wanted, and he will create a peace treaty to allow that to go into place, and then Katie bar the door. The last seven is unfolding, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves. (coughs) The Messiah. To finish the transgression, that's sin in general. Let's look at the next one. We'll have to go quickly. I'm, I'm not very fast today, am I? It says that to finish the transgression, and watch, and to make an end of Sins, that's plural, mark that. It's specific sins. They're going to be dealt with the specific sins. Not just sin in generalities, but specific sins. That's one of the things that happens to us. And we can get a little bit general about sins. You know what? It's not nearly as, as uh, how do we want to say this? It's important for us sometimes to just confess the specific sins in our lives. Don't just say, forgive us. Forgive me my sin. And then there's a big general term. Name it. Just get it, just name it, because there's something about that that makes it much more effective in the personalness of that specific sin, okay? And he's saying that that actually will be 
stymied as well in the sense of specific sins. And then look at the third one. The purpose of this prophecy is to finish the transgression. Verse 24, to make an end of sins. And then it says, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. To make reconciliation for iniquity. That word there is uh, one that we would have to cover sin or the word atone. That's a very Old Testament word. Very, very very familiar to, to Daniel. He would have known about this. this. This ultimately is they would have sacrificed that lamb. Then we're coming back to that evening oblation at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There would have been a sacrifice that would have been an atonement, a covering for that sin. Now, that word atonement is only used one time in the New Testament, speaking of Jesus Christ, that he is our atonement. Now, Jesus, it said when, when uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ for the first time, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that covers the sin of the world. No, takes away the sin of the world. There's a big difference. But in this day, when, when, when Daniel would have seen this, to be covered, this is a picture of in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, that mercy seat. See, there had to be blood on the top of the mercy seat so that God would see that it had been paid, particularly on that one day of atonement, which the whole nation. Now, this whole nation, under the high priest's guidance, would slay an animal and the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat and God would see that as atoning the entire nation for one year. Now, not specific individuals, the nation, again. Now, how do those three things come to pass? What is in view there? What is in view? The cross. As Jesus Christ, this Messiah that he will see later in this vision, or in this prophecy... Jesus Christ was able to literally end the transgression, to deal with specific sins, and he was the reconciliation of iniquity. He bore all of the cost of sins on that cross. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, it's still present. Yeah, that's the deal. The power and the penalty of sin is handled. It's up to you to receive the forgiveness and the grace from the Lord Jesus Christ when you stand firmly upon those promises that God has laid out, that is amazingly true, but there's something that's still here, and that is the presence of sin. The presence of sin. That doesn't go away until when? Literally the end of these 70 weeks. When God's kingdom comes on board, oh, let's talk about the next three. See, those are the negatives, the sin problem. These must have been wild to Daniel. (laughs) Then let's go. It says the next one is, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. This would be like eternal righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Oh, those are positives. Those are massive. When we're talking about everlasting righteousness, we're talking about permanent righteousness. When does that happen? After all the kingdoms of the earth and the world are gone. And who reigns then? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And that's the beginning, if you will, of the everlasting. What a trade, huh? What a trade. Jesus Christ dies for our sins, and he brings in everlasting or eternal righteousness. See, there's a part we've never been able to understand because we're not on that side of it. In heaven, there is what we would call eternal righteousness. Eternal righteousness. There's no way to break that. You see, I can't, when I say that, you, you, just, you can't get there because we're not in the right, we're not in the right time right frame of mind to grasp that. But that's what we're talking about. That is the purpose of this prophecy because it's in a finality we'll have eternal, everlasting righteousness. Now, here's the other thing. What is this that Daniel has just had happen here? 
It's a revelation, isn't it? It's a revelation, a revealing of truth. What is the, what is the book of Revelation? It's a revealing of further truth or a continuing in the sense of unfolding of God's truth. How about, a vi- how about these visions? How about these prophecies? That's an unfolding of future things that we don't know. You know what? When you, we will be in that place of everlasting or eternal righteousness, guess what? We don't need it anymore. We, it's, it will cease. Further revelations, prophecies, and visions. We don't have any need of them. Just as we are known, we will know. I, I can't, I, I, again, I, these, are, these are terms I can't even fully, but when, you, when you're stepping into the presence of God, you know, people say, well, I'm going to ask God. No, you're not. There's nothing to ask. You're, it's, there's not even, boy, I wish I would have known. No, it's not even, poof, it's there. All of those things end. Are you on board with this? This, this is the purpose of these prophecies. These are the things, everybody skips over the top. Let's get on to the 77s. No, no, this is why this happens. And then the last one was, what is it? To anoint the holy. Or even the holiest of holies. What is that talking about? Well, again, right in your notes, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 40 through verse, chapter 48, 40 through 48, it talks about the temple that will be constructed in the millennial age. And there will be that point of anointing that temple. There will be a temple at the end, which God constructs, of which will be anointed during that time frame. I, don't, I can't tell you what that all means. I don't have any idea, but it's perfect. It's perfect. And you know how these things basically came about? Were the very things that you and I have the ability and the opportunity and the privilege to know today that Daniel didn't ever know. The coming of the Messiah. This word was the first time that that had ever been mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures. Messiah. He didn't know that word. Not only do we know the word, we know the Savior. Do you see how thankful we should be i wouldn't have made a very good old testament person i just wouldn't have just think of how big a herd we'd have to have i got the sacrifice herd and then i got my herd and my herd keeps moving to the sacrifice herd right and all that really proved was how big god's love was and we thank god for how big his love is not nearly enough. And how do we get rained on with his blessings? And rain being R-A-I-N-E-D, rained, you get in the circle of obedience. How do you get in the circle of obedience? You say, Larry, I'm not in the circle of obedience because I'm not, I'm not getting any blessings rained on me. Now, keep, no, stop, 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 stop. See, some of you are saying right now, you say, boy, that's what I need. I need some blessings. Now, just a second, just a second. Just a second. You see, when we want, when we, when we go to God in prayer, because we've read the word of God, and then we're in the, I'm leading it, will of God, a blessing no longer is just described as a blessing from our viewpoint. A blessing is described from God's viewpoint. So now, what does it say in James? Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. And you know why it's a blessing? Because God from the 30,000 foot or the 30 zillion mile view, I don't know, right? From that point of view, guess what? He knows that that trial 
will be a blessing to you down the road. Amen. Oftentimes you go through tough stuff. One of the things that, that it really is part of someone that's going through a very difficult time. Now, it's, it's not good to say this immediately, but about halfway through you'll say, you know, all of the things that God has taught you through this as you, have you focus on him. Literally, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 talk about the comfort that you were comforted with. Now you'll be able to comfort someone else with. That's how God uses us as people. We share the things that we've learned, and all of those trials are things we learn to become blessings, not only to us, watch now, to others as well. See, it's a lot easier for you to be able to tell someone about it, what, what they're going through if you went through it. And that becomes a blessing to them. So I wanted to take just a little bit parenthesis, but if you want to get blessings rained on from God, get in the circle of obedience. That's where Daniel was at. That's where Daniel was at. Now, God loves you whether you're in the circle or out of the circle, but the only way you can really be rained on is to get in the circle. Now, how do you get in the circle? How do you get in that circle? Let's say that the circle is out, outside, and you can, you can see people that are in the circle. They're out there, and they're, they're being blessed, and you just, I can't get there. You know why you can't get there? You know what's stopping you? Do you know what's right, boom, a roadblock in front of you? My will. My will, which is, pride. With, thank you, with pride. Because pride keeps you con- confessing what's keeping you out of the circle of obedience. Because if you're not obeying, I'm going to tell you something. There's something keeping you from obeying. You know what that is? Sin. The only thing you can do with sin as a Christian is confess it. Now, there are those that don't know Jesus Christ personally. They don't even know what the circle of obedience is. They're just obeying Satan and the world system. I mean, that's, that's just their God. That's the way it is. That's the way it works. And you see what keeps them from finding a Savior? Pride. Pride. America has gotten very lofty very sophisticated, very ungodly, very unneeding of a Savior because pff, what's sin? Sin's nothing. It's a joke. It's, I can do what I want to do. Self-will. Isn't that one of the most dangerous things you could possibly imagine? That is one of the most dangerous things, and pride is at the root of it. That's literally the guy that believed, the, pers- the, the created being that believed the greatest lie of all time is the one that really should have known better because he was also created as the most intelligent being, and that was Satan. Lucifer, more specifically. He believed that he could be like God. What was behind that? Pride, arrogance, and a massive level. And he bought it. And pride cometh before Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. So Proverbs 18, 16. When you see someone that's very, very pride, particularly a Christian, and you can just see this pride oozing off of them, and it's almost like it precedes them, I feel very sorry for that person. Yeah. Because they're going to trip and fall. Now, here's the... And in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, talks about we as fellow brethren is coming along and helping that person up. Because that's the best way to get pride, to get rid of pride, is to fall down. But then Satan, in his diabolicalness, is it, then, then it's like we, now, I don't, it's not every time, but sometimes as we as brothers and sisters, we're too prideful to stoop down and help that prideful rascal that fell on his face. Right? You see how diabolical pride is? And then guess who loses that? Again, Satan wins. Pride is absolutely diabolical in every frame and mind. There's not a good place for it. That's why God hates it, particularly among Christians. That's why Daniel is so cool. He is so cool. So cool. I think this is a good place for us to say, I will see you next week. (laughs) 
as we talk about. Because if I go into launch out in the next thing on, this, on the 69 weeks and how that's constructed and how literally the beginning and they decree, I'm going to whet your appetite because I want to see you next week. Uh, because there's four decrees that mark the beginning. One of those marks the beginning of the 77s. And if you have a beginning, then you know an ending. And it's amazing as Agnes. It literally, from the day that's described for us, now you have to figure out which one, which decree is the right one, from which king, from that day until the day that Jesus Christ literally walks, or rides on a donkey through the streets of Jerusalem, and they say, Hosanna to the king of the highest, when he was presented as the king, is exactly... 69 weeks or 483 years or 17,880 days. And then you don't think there's a God? And that was about 100, and 100 years before any of that was even in place. This is fantastic what's going on here in Daniel chapter 9. But let's go. See you next week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness, for the unfolding of a man, Daniel, a man that was on fire for you. When he read the word of God, it made him respond by praying to you, Father. Obviously seeking your will, finding your will, and then praying for it to happen. A fervency, a self-denial, praying for others. It's always dependent upon you, Father, looking for your glory. I describe Daniel in many, many ways. Father, this a reward, if you will, I should be careful, maybe that's not right, the right word, but certainly the giving of this prophecy that fit dovetailed perfectly into what Daniel had read in the scriptures in Jeremiah, these 490 years that literally Israel, Judah particularly, had stolen the Sabbath year from you, Father, you took that back. They chose to not obey you. You took it away. They were in captivity. But it matches perfectly a period of time that you have determined to be within the Jewish people's future to Daniel. And here we are, 69 of 70 weeks, weeks of years, have passed in Jewish history. There's one remaining week, one seven, seven, one week of seven that has not started. And in your graciousness, your kindness, your love, which the Jews rejected for a time, and you have not thrown them aside. Oh, no. Romans chapter 9 through 11 talks very specifically about you setting them aside for a part, for a time, and working with the Gentiles. The church of which we have the pleasure and the privilege to be able to experience the grace that came from us because the purpose of this prophecy was to finish the transgression, to deal with specific sins and to literally atone for those sins, which shows the power and the awesomeness of Jesus Christ dying on Calvary's tree. The magnitude of this is overwhelming. And sometimes it becomes familiar and we lose sight of how important it truly is. Father, we'll ask for your continued guidance in our lives in a world that's chaotic and crazy. And all of this, it was Daniel's focus as well, the Messiah, the G, that Jesus Christ was the answer. Father, we would ask that in this 
place of people gathered, those that hear my voice, wherever it might be, that in the journeys that you have them on, that steps that you will take to guide them, that there would be men and women and children that would come across their pathway, that you would help these dear ones to shed or spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need Jesus. Jesus saves. Father, may pride be cast down. May pride be trampled. May pride be seen for what it is. A diabolical overuse of self-will. Father, we ask that you would be lifted up, Father. That was always Daniel's goal, was to lift and to glorify you. And Father, as there's those that will come to a decision, having the opportunity to choose Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit working in them, we just pray for those one by one as they would come to Jesus Christ gospel would unfold with life and light. Father, go with us. Thank you for the day. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for being the same God that gave Daniel these things. You are still on the throne. We thank you in Christ's name.